0: This episode is brought to you by MBA without BS. Save four years and 200K. Get an MBA without a bachelor's degree. It sounds like science fiction, I know, but I'm living proof. Look up MBAWOBS.com for first access to my book, new articles, podcast episodes, tips, tricks, and more. MBAWOBS.com. <laughs> In this episode, I'm speaking with Tony Whitman-Reynolds from City University's Cass Business School in London. Tony is an MBA recruitment manager, part of the admissions team, and responsible for recruiting high-caliber students for the school's different programs. This episode is especially interesting for prospective applicants, those interested in a top five London MBA as ranked by the Financial Times as it features a compact, international, and intimate program. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and share. It goes a long way, and I will highly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Happy listening. (laughs) Tony, welcome to MBA Without BS. It's a pleasure having you here.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, great to be here.
0: Well, how are you doing in uh, in this nice... Afternoon already, or is it?
1: Uh, We're still early morning here down (laughs) in London, uh, so it's a pretty nice day. We've had some great weather, so yeah, we're doing really well.
0: Very good. So, Tony, to get going, I'm going to start the way we start with every candidate or interviewee in this podcast, and that is, tell me your story in two minutes or under.
1: Brilliant. Well, I am... was in the travel industry for many years I worked overseas with TUI so I had a fantastic opportunity to manage various different hotels and resorts both in Spain and uh, mainland Europe and then I got the opportunity to work a little bit further afield in the Cape Verde Islands which was fantastic. I was uh, working with customers overseas logistically customer relation, managing, and doing a little bit of entertainment as well. But I think we'll leave that as a past world. (laughs) And then um, I decided to come back to the UK. My life overseas was fantastic, but I wanted a bit more uh, realism. I wanted to come back to the UK, to spend time with family and friends. So I got back to London, and I'll be honest with you, I struggled to find a job. I couldn't find something that I wanted to do. So I had to take something temporarily, which was a job on reception at the City University of London. So that was uh, an opening which has led me to fantastic things. I quite quickly was taken in by Cass Business School, part of the university. I was then recognised by the MBA team as somebody who had great customer service, had a interesting way about them. So I got to work with a fantastic group of people in the course office. I then was um, lucky enough to get positioned position as the full-time MBA course officer, the program manager. So I, for three and a half years, was heavily involved in Cass's full-time MBA. I was in the classroom with the students. I was traveling internationally. It was my job to organize logistics be that first point of contact between the students and the university so i developed fantastic relationships with many of our students and alumni from the past few years and then a position came up as an international recruitment manager going out and talking to people all over the world and around the uk about the full-time mba and the other mba programs that cas teach and this is where I am now. I'm having the opportunity to speak about a programme I'm incredibly passionate about and introduce people to uh, alumni from the past few years who I know very well who would be excellent connections for people to find out a little bit more about what the programme involves and how CAS helps them and that's where I am now. I am going out talking to people and speaking to people about you about what a fantastic school CAS is.
0: That's fantastic. How many countries do you think you visited in twenty? Let's say nineteen, because twenty twenty is a bit strange.
1: Twenty nineteen, I had a fantastic year. I got to visit uh, Milan. I did a um, uh, a trip to New York. I also got to do five Latin American countries. Mm -hmm. Um, We did Mexico, um, Lima, uh, so Peru, um, Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia. That was, that was really interesting. Just to see um, a continent that I'd never visited before, to meet so many really interesting and fantastic candidates who come from so many different business areas, different walks of life. It was just a, a pleasure to go out and speak to people.
0: Where was the best food?
1: Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I, I love Italian food. So when I was in Milan, I got the opportunity to try some uh, Milanese pizza, which is thick-based. I didn't quite realize. Uh, That was good, but do you know what? It might not be renowned for its food, but I love New York. There's so many different eateries, so many different varieties. Uh, So we ate quite well in New York, I'll put it that way.
0: I bet. I bet. Do you have a... I'm I'm a New Yorker, so... uh... I can relate. Do you have a favorite or a recommended one?
1: We went to a really great Mexican where they made the guacamole right by Uh. the table where the staff was so happy and jolly and it was a really great family atmosphere. We saw a a grandma who was there and the staff recognized her and her family came around. So I think it wasn't just the food, it was the uh, atmosphere in there which made it.
0: Was that uh, Rosa Mexicana by any chance?
1: Yes, it was. It Uh. was.
0: <laughs> New York's a small place, you know. It's a small neighborhood.
1: <laughs> that was really great.
0: Good. So with all this uh with all this traveling going on, how much let's see, how international is uh the student cohort, the student body in the CAS MBA?
1: So we have a really um really great cohort in the MBA. So The current class who we have, I've got 87 people from 30 different nationalities. That's That's a fantastic mix of people. Um, It's actually 80% of the class is from outside the UK. So we, for example, we've got um, North Americans, we've got a variety of South Americans, but then we've got people from um, all around Europe. Uh, We've got some fantastic Chinese candidates who I met on a China tour two years ago, Um, people from Japan. We've got a really interesting mix and three Australians this year. Normally we have one, two, but this year we've got a a few. So obviously that led me to suggest to my manager, I think I need to go to Australia for a recruitment trip.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's not bad. West Coast or East Coast? (laughs)
1: Well, I I might as well go to both of them. Uh If if I need to see people, might as well go an entire tour of Australia.
0: No, I I read you loud and clear. So 80% foreigners or uh, other nationalities, that's great. That's a phenomenal ratio. Why do you think that they're coming to CAS?
1: I think that um, one of the primary reasons many people come to CAS is the fantastic location. So we are so centrally located in london that um well just the daily running of the university the events that we're having the conferences that we hold will attract the people in the buildings surrounding us in in the immediate walking area so that initial network is fantastic but just the location of london we were created as one of the finance schools of the city so we are still renowned as an amazing finance school, some brilliant professors of banking, of um, uh, the mergers and acquisition centre. So we are renowned globally as a finance school. But now in recent years, also entrepreneurship as well. We're a short walking distance to Silicon Roundabout. So the startup scene, the tech hub that the university um, is heavily involved in is another great attraction for the international community.
0: Did you call it? Did you say Silicon Roundabout?
1: Silicon Roundabout, yes. Oh, I tell me more. I personally I personally find that term a little bit cringy, but that is the term that many uh, people in London have uh, coined for the fact that um, around the Old Street area of London, where it's literally a five minute walk from the doorstep at Bunhill Road, many uh, startups and um, tech hubs. Um, it's really becoming a fantastic area for business, and you know, as I said, with our connection from our fantastic academics we 're getting so many people coming in to the front door not only to study but just to um, get involved to offer student projects for people to partake in and even job offers as well. Lots of fintech happening uh, at the moment, so I think that um this silicon roundabout as they call it and um is only going to get bigger around the Shoreditch area in the next few years so we're in the prime location to um to, to well to get more involved
0: that's great i'll come check it out we were supposed to have a a face to face interview and uh, or a podcast <laughs> interview and uh you know and and this happened so uh
1: so maybe come and visit us. Actually, something I'd love to tell you, and I, I can tell you because it has been announced publicly now. Um, in the next um, couple of years, we're going to be opening a new site,
0: no which way. is only
1: um, only five minutes from our current Bunhill Row site. And we are still keeping Bunhill Row as the building, but we're going to be um, having a new building at Finchbury Square, which is uh, currently uh, being uh, Our designers are looking at it. And then from September, the building work is going to start happening. It's going to be refurbished with fantastic lecture theatres. We're going to have some um, amazing um, online uh, features. Our online MBA launched in February. So we will be having our own recording studio in the basement, which is a bank vault which they're converting into a recording studio, which will be really fantastic. And again, this building is only a short walk to the Silicon Roundabout, to the financial district, to the Bank of London. So it's still keeping a fantastic location.
0: I think that's a really smart... I'm talking about the basement now and the bank vault. <laughs> <laughs> Both, uh, you know, practically speaking, but also, you know, the, uh, the metaphor of it are fantastic uh, to have a recording studio and a bank vault in a business school. And for whatever reason, you know, podcasts are, you know, are just gaining traction. It just became, you know, this super relevant new, semi-new medium that's going on. And I think it exploded in the past maybe two years, not even.
1: Completely. It really is. And I mean, it's something that we're, Utilizing the school as well. Our careers team uh, recently has started recording a series of podcasts, which is available for our current students, our alumni, and they're taking in a number of areas from simple things like CV skills to interviewing our alumni from various different industries. So the careers team have, uh, are fantastic and they're currently doing that externally, but when we have our own recording studio, they'll be able to do it in house. But you're right, podcasts, they're so easy to access they're so easy to listen to to pick up and put down on the commute for example or perhaps before bed it's uh yeah it's an industry it's a a a commodity which we're going to be using as a school and as a industry the business school industry will be using it far much uh, a lot it's
0: almost a must um so tony i think the you know, we're all seeing what's going on with COVID-19 and a lot of people ask, you know, how are the schools kind of managing it or managing with it? So what's going on in CAS?
1: It's a really good question. So um, when COVID hit, I think that in the UK, we saw what was happening around the rest of the world. and We had a little bit of time to plan, to work out what we were going to do. So at CAS, for example, on our um, teaching programs, we moved everything online quite quickly and that was including the exams as well. So um, examinations were done uh, via uh, our online learning portals. Um, Teaching was happening via um, a variety of different Features such as Zoom, Adobe Connect. So we moved quite quickly to that. And I'll be honest with you, students on the whole were happy. Some students weren't, but um, we have to work with those um, people. Uh, We have to work with them to make sure that we can deliver what they they want and how they want to learn. So you know what, we've given them options. We're looking at potentially maybe they can defer to next year to continue in person. in regards to recruitment, well, do you know what? We're still having a fantastic year. We were able to all move quite quickly to working remotely, to having our one-to-ones via Skype, via Zoom. Again, we are still talking to a fantastic amount of people from all over the world. And do you know what? The world hasn't stopped. We're still finding both interest in school and applications are still moving forward really, really well. We've got to plan for September to be in person. How, how could we not? We've got to think that everything by September will be running as as it has in previous years. We've got contingency plans. We will we will make it work. We will make the MBA work for people. But I had a great conversation with a gentleman who was an entrepreneur. He winding down his own business. And he said to me, Tony, why would i not want to do a full-time mba at the moment this amazing evolving business world in which we're currently in the middle of is never going to happen again so to do an mba now to come out of owning my own business take that experience into a full-time program to fully immerse while the world is evolving around us and then to come out the other side in 18 months two years to see okay, this is the new norm, this is where we're going, these are the new tools I've got, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle that? It was a fantastic way of putting it, and actually it was an interesting take because I think many of us have mentioned that but not put it so simply and eloquently that actually doing an MBA at the moment in this strange time that we're working in would be a fantastic time to do an mba
0: yeah to an extent it's it's like weathering the storm you know kind of mm. uh, staying staying down low when the excuse my french but when the shit hits the fan and then yeah. kind of merging on the other side when things are totally. picking up
1: and taking into account maybe different cases that businesses are uh, uh, living through at the moment, be them success or, or otherwise, that fantastic time to study what is happening around us in the business hubs of New York, London, the um, Middle East, to have these first-hand examples from our fantastic academics that we have at CAS who can really bring their learning. We've got some fantastic strategists, we are really proud that actually um for i think it's the 10th maybe 11th year running the financial times have ranked um Cass's corporate strategists as as top 10 global leaders so these are the people who are going to be talking to industry when this is over about how they're gonna how they're gonna cope and they're talking to people at the moment about how to react to it so the students who are sitting on the programs to be able to learn from these people is fantastic time
0: would you say that uh It's strategy or corporate strategy is one of uh, CASA's strongest uh, suits?
1: It really is. Um, As I touched on, we were created as uh, a school for the uh, financial district, for the bankers. But you know what? In the past few years, we have um, come on and and had some fantastic academics join us from areas such as corporate strategy, um, entrepreneurship, um, operations management so yeah definitely corporate strategy is one of our leading areas and professor charles baden fuller is a an amazing academic who teaches a um elective on the full-time mba around um business models and his way of teaching his enthusiasm his uniqueness is one of the takeaways many people have on the MBA. They say that actually he was one of the, well, highlights of the program. So Professor Charles Baden-Fuller not only is leading our um, corporate strategy uh, teaching unit, but he is a key part of the MBA.
0: Um, The MBA, I probably should have asked this before, but is it a one-year or a two-year or both? or?
1: Yeah, so we've got the one-year program starting in very early September, running right the way through to the end of the fall.
0: I'm a big fan of one, uh, one-year MBAs, maybe because that's the one I've, I've done. But, um, <laughs> you know, in my talk with, uh, with Virginie from INSEAD, she she's coined a term that I loved and I started using since. Say so when you do a one-year MBA, you learn to master intensity. Because if you have to compress, it's nice, huh? If you compress two years into one, you know, you're getting kind of side effects that you would not be getting in a two year MBA, the softer
1: things. Oh, completely. I think that the one year program, as well as obviously, um, limiting the time out of um, your career is just, it is teaching you the time management skills it's teaching you how to juggle both the academia and the family friends and social life as well that will be so important for future business leaders it's um what i say to people when i'm initially having the conversations it's an incredibly busy year but it's going to be stressful and it's going to um, put a lot of pressure on you at times but you know what? The transformations, the learnings, and the friends that you're gonna come out the other end with are gonna be with you for the rest of your life. It really is gonna be that transformational year.
0: So um you know, I'm 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 thinking of you know, right now I spoke with a few friends who who are in the UK in London and I'm just kind of trying to to wrap my head and around, you know, the UK right now. So obviously everybody's suffering from COVID, not only in, in the UK, but the UK is also after Brexit. Is yeah. there, you know, is there a... First of all, how does the environment look like in terms of, you know, everything that's going on, you know, macro, micro, are people coming in? Are they going out? And even more important than that, so how, how are things looking right now? But also, what do you see as the future? So how, how, is, the, how is the future of, of
1: looks like? That's a really interesting question. It's a really hard question as well. Um, <laughs> I would say that over the past few years since Brexit was announced, I think there was an initial worry. I think there was an initial panic by many big businesses who um, escaped the UK when Brexit was announced moved to um, mainland Europe many people go to Dublin and that had um, and that caused a lot of concern not only for the business school but for people coming in and lots of conversations we were having with um, MBA students were am I going to get a job which is obviously <laughs> most people's concern am I going to get a job in the UK afterwards which is not something that we can guarantee so there was that initial concern but you know what that settled down quite quickly um since brexit's happened a lot's happened in the world um which has led to another uncertainty but um when i speak to um the professors when i speak to the course directors and the careers team when the financial crisis was happening lots of Panic happened, lots of initial uproar. But, you know, there were so many opportunities that came out of that, which were unexpected, which were um, fantastic opportunities for many, many people. So, do you know, coming out of Brexit, coming out of COVID, we don't know what the job market is going to look like globally, not even in London or even the UK. But there's going to be new companies, new ways of working. So there's always going to be opportunities. There's always going to be fantastic opportunities for people. So do you know what? I don't think we need to be concerned. I think that there's always going to be something there. Um, And it just means that we need to be a little bit more open in the way we think and the way we work to realize what these opportunities are.
0: Definitely. So if you were were just finishing your MBA right now, you know, this is, it's a crazy time, but let's assume it's September and, or, uh, sorry, or the end of uh, fall and you're finishing your MBA in CAS, what would you be looking at? Where would you go? Who would you speak with? What would you do?
1: So what, what our current students are doing is, at the moment um, mm-hmm. is working closely with our careers team. So the careers offering is still um, there even if it's not in person. The careers team are offering online workshops, they're offering um, virtual one-to-ones. So the MBA students um, can still refine those soft skills, can still work on their employability. They um, The students still need to be reaching out to the alumni network because that's one of the reasons why many people are doing MBAs is to access that network of people that they might not be able to otherwise so they need to be reaching out to our alumni in areas in specific companies that they want to because yeah um, many companies have job freezes employability downturns at the moment but that's only going to be short term we're still September is still a few months away so they need to be making the most of these relationships that they um, have a unique um, and a unique way of contacting which they wouldn't otherwise they need to build these relationships they need to keep working because when September comes once they've handed in that final dissertation then well they might have an email from somebody they spoke to now saying actually we have got a position coming up. We think you'd be fantastic for it. So you know what? Making the most of these digital opportunities that they can. We are not commuting at the moment. So you know what? Take that time when you'd be commuting to reach out to three or four people that you wouldn't have had time to otherwise. Make the most of the time that we've got.
0: So you're saying invest internally, plant the seeds, invest in the network, use the time, take the workshops, refine your soft skills. And, you know, with the prospect of harvesting it come September.
1: Yeah, the the opportunities will come come later on. They they will.
0: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know, sometimes it's hard to see past the, the dark clouds. But, you know, if it's raining all over, just, you know, start working where you're at
1: if it's raining get that rain mac out because you still got to work i am a very positive person so you know what there's always sunny times coming you've got to make the most of those times at the moment
0: definitely and there's always something to do huh definitely now you're at home you have so much spare time and you know actually what i'm finding is that sometimes it's it's almost as well at least for some people i'm maybe i'm not one of them but it's almost as if you have too much spare time and people kind of yeah. get complacent or confused or they're like you know one one helpful tip actually what is your tip for how to spend this time well
1: that is really good so actually in my household we are using uh spare time to upscale but um, I am doing a cryptozoology course, which I found online, which is really interesting and not relevant in the slightest to anything I'm going to do in the future, learning for the sake of learning. And my other half has started a sign language course, which is fantastic. And you know what? We don't know where that'll go. We don't know what it will help with, but who knows? In the future, it might it might be really helpful in a social situation. So we are Using these opportunities because many online um, educational providers, um, smaller courses rather than the large universities, are offering substantial discounts at the moment because so many people are staying indoors. Um, My course should have been £120. I've got it for £20. So make the most of these downtime that we've got to upskill. And you know what? Upskill doesn't necessarily mean to be business. It might just be something fun and entertaining.
0: You said cryptozoology? Yeah, yes. What is that? Tell us more.
1: So cryptozoology is a study of um, hidden animals, basically. So it is the scientific study of um, mythological beasts, as many people think. So at the moment, I've done a module on the Loch Ness Monster. I've done a module on uh, Yeti and the Kraken. And what's really interesting is there's a lot of myth but then there's a lot of science fact thrown in as well, which I found really exciting.
0: What's your f- favorite mythical animal?
1: Uh, what uh, from the modules that I've done so far, the Kraken was really interesting. The uh, Norse sea serpent, which was uh, uh, based in fact, so it is the giant um, giant squids. Which actually exists up to, they found giant squids that are actually up to 60 feet in length. So, no wonder ancient mariners thought that there were sea serpents around when you see those floating past you. All
0: right. So, I like this. This is fun. So, uh, <laughs> my, my tip, by the way, is do all, like focus on doing one or two things every day, just achieving, finishing one or two things every day. You know, let's say you work out. And you, whatever you write a page or work out and take one course. That's that's mine. Um, but-
1: that's really important. I think that you are getting a closure, that you're feeling that the productivity has, yeah, has come to something. So we are stuck at home at the moment. The days do slightly merge into one. So having that ability to finish something and have that productivity, I think that's a really good tip. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's dive into CAS because uh, maybe for some of our listeners that's what they're uh, here for. Um, so, if you had to sell CAS, which you kind of do, how would you sell it?
1: Okay, so as a uh, one-year program, what I f- personally feel differentiates us in the market is we've got a smaller classroom so i would say over the past few years we've had a cohort of um mid 70s mid 80s we never go over 90 actually that's a a nice size it's a big enough group to have a great diversity in industry in nationality in uh, even even experience years Um, but it's small enough that you still know everybody's name and that's really nice it's a great way of learning and we really push the um, collaborative uh, collaborative approach to learning. So we believe that success is at group level. Obviously, everybody needs to be successful in their own right, but not at the uh, disadvantage of the group. So we have a really collaborative learning approach, group activities, um, fantastic group projects that the student's gonna be doing. Um, clubs and societies are a major part of our MBA as well with our MBA students quite often being on the uh, boards or the presidents of different societies so collaboration from day one is incredibly important for cats um our MBA itself it's it's a really great it's a really great program from day one a really thorough induction program three weeks of induction so the first week Well, it's about getting to know everybody. As we touched on earlier, it's a really international cohort. Many people have never studied in the UK before. So actually, week one is about everybody getting to know each other, building those relationships, learning some key skills, because you need those to be successful across the year. You need those key relationships. You need the key study techniques. And then the second two weeks of induction are with our careers and professional development team. We bring in the careers team, who the students will spend a lot of time with across the year Um, they'll have a one-to-one careers advisor who's there for their help and support and to do a plan on what they want to do in next steps and how they're going to reach those goals and well the careers induction is really about cementing those soft skills and learning some key key areas on which they're going to be supported throughout the year so three weeks of induction is quite a long time but we think it's important to actually them embedded into the program and to embed them properly into the school and then we move on to the core modules at the end of september so the core modules run from september all the way through to april and we divide them into four different blocks and obviously the core modules are covering all the basic building blocks of business from accounting and corporate finance to um, operations marketing strategy but we divide them into four blocks the first one will be uh, accounting strategy and um, organisational behaviour. They'll have four weeks of teaching, which is group work, uh, individual study, case studies. And then the fifth week is what we call integration week. And this is really important. So they will get a project on the Monday and the group will work on it throughout the week. They'll apply the strategies that they've learnt in Class in the past few weeks to this project, to perhaps a case study they're doing, and then on the Friday they will present their theories, their learnings to the rest of the cohort. So it's really cementing these theoretical ideas that they've learned into a real life example. It's making it it's making it come alive, which is so important, a practicality in the MBA how you're applying these theories to business is, is key for everybody and that's why another reason why we look for such an international and diverse cohort and um, this year for example we've got some really interesting people from all over the world which we touched on but from so many different industries well this is basically what the podcast is about as well we look for so well diversity brings a lot to the cohort this year I've got someone from Los Angeles who works in uh, the tv uh, media world uh, casting and that information is to many of us such a, uh, a world away from what we do so the information that Ricky probably brought to the class would have been really interesting and obviously family businesses from India, IT specialists from um, China, the information that the students are bringing to these core modules is going to be so interesting and different from those who work in banking and consultancy so that's a little bit about the core period and um, the second half of the program are the electives so the students can choose to specialize in uh, finance strategy entrepreneurship and what's really interesting about the electives is they're no longer just with the full time anymore. They're mixing in the electives with our executive MBA students, our Dubai cohort, and even our alumni as well. So the electives are a very different time. And they can also um, choose to do the weekend module, the evening sessions. So it's a great mix during the electives of when and where they're doing them. And then the international options, the one week international elective is something I particularly feel really proud of. We've got such a fantastic, diverse international elective offering from um, Cuba to Israel and Palestine to study tour. We did a brand new one in Kenya last year called Technology for Social Good, which sounded absolutely fantastic. And there's a great blog, which I'll, I'll share with you, which tells you a little bit more about nice. what the students did, as well as several around the United States. I did one a few years ago in Las Vegas, which was very eye-opening. <laughs> it's a city that I've never been to, but to um, learn about strategy, to learn about um, location marketing and brands in Las Vegas was fantastic. Um, the final piece of the program that the students do is their dissertation, which we call the Business Mastery Project. And it's the students, well it's their ability to truly specialise in whatever they might want to do. They can do a, a private research and desk based project. They can do a business plan should they want to or some people will want that company project where they can work for uh, maybe five or six weeks in a company on a specific project that the careers team have found and then they'll write that up with an academic spin as their final piece. so that's a whistle stop tour of uh, one year at cast it's a it's a great program it's a really interesting program you know what it's one hopefully that i I, you can see how passionate I am about it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it, it shows and it's, you know, the energy comes through from the, from the way you speak about it.
1: That's great. It is. As I said from the beginning, I was so thoroughly involved in the full-time MBA and I've got some great friends who are now alumni. So it's a program that I know both sides of from presenting it and organizing logistics. But then from the feedback I've had from the students who have gone through it as well, which has enabled me to make changes to the program and suggest to the associate dean, actually, let's tweak it here. So it's a program that I intend to be involved with for many years, I think.
0: So we've touched upon, you know, a lot of the practicalities and how the program looks like. If we take a step back, what's the school's, you know, philosophy, and mission statement you know what's the what's the top line what does the sign above the door say
1: that's a really good question and i think that um that's that's a really good question that i don't think i can answer actually (laughs) properly um because that's something they're working on at the moment Mm. an exact uh, uh definition of that uh so yeah, I'm not. That's one that I can't answer. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, I've uh,
0: I had the privilege of uh, meeting and speaking. Actually, spending a few days with uh, Professor Cynthia Montgomery from Harvard. Mm. She's a strategy professor from Harvard. Uh, phenomenal lady. You know, very well renowned, but just a kind and good and smart individual. And one of the things she kind of repeats and repeats and and, and kind of instills into her. Uh, students by the way, most of whom are you know family family business owners and you know kind of older it 's not you know twenty eight year old m b a s it's more like the forty year old business owners and so on mm-hmm. and one of the things she says all the time is that maybe twenty years ago, maybe your mission statement you would set a mission statement and that will last you know for five or seven or ten years mm-hmm. but today companies need and entities need to change their mission statement on a yearly sometimes you know bi-yearly sometimes quarterly basis because things are changing so rapidly so you're saying you know we're working on it right now i can completely understand it because the world is literally changing beneath our feet
1: it's true and we have um i've been through two um deans of the business school in the past few years. So um, there's been Professor Marianne Lewis who was a fantastic American, um, she she was brilliant, she was a great American lady who's gone back to the University of Cincinnati um, and she was really strong in her customer driven approach. She was um, a She got out there. She went around the world. She visited and met our alumni. She wanted to find out what each person's perspective on CAS was. So she was a really great dean. And now we've got a fantastic interim dean while we search for a new one. And Professor Paolo Volpin, who's a fantastic and really interesting professor of finance and a really strong, steady hand. And as an interim dean, just what we needed, actually, somebody who is going to steer the ship um, and to make sure that we are moving in the right direction somebody who was just going to be there to look after the school for a few years but actually has now had to um, show some fantastic leadership skills in such a, a strange time at the moment so we have some fantastic leadership at the school so it's a interesting place to be and it's going to be an interesting direction the school will take following COVID. Um, We've started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, our online MBA uh, in February. The second intake will be in September and I think that helped with actually across the school um, how to run a successful online program. There was a lot of planning, went into it, ready to launch in February. So actually um, professor Volpin uh, many of the other associate deans were able to speak to our online team and say, look, what have you done to prepare for launch in February? What do we do need to do right now to get our programs moving online?
0: So if we're talking about, you know, the school and the mission statement and, you know, and how the school operates, let's talk a bit about, you know, the, candidates themselves the applicants Mm. um what what makes a great candidate in your view and school's view a great class
1: so we've got our um admission criteria everybody's got their admissions criteria right um gmap work experience undergraduate although that's not always necessary
0: we'll talk about um, that in a second yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but do you know what we do as a mba team is that we try and speak to every single one of our candidates who ha- are going to put in an application that's a massive commitment and a massive task and you know what we can't do everybody but we try and do a lot because we have a personal touch and that is fed back to us by many of our candidates many of our students and alumni the personal touch makes a difference for many and um, it's a community feeling which is something that the school thrives on community so once we have had the initial review of receiving um our team will organize a one-to-one and it means that as recruitment managers we can get to know the students and find out who they are what their commitment is and um who they are in what what they want to get out of the mba so by that i mean we we want great people for our program we want people who are going to share in the classroom their ideas their experience their enthusiasm we want enthusiastic people who are going to give during the program but also give back afterwards as well because we want people who will come back and join us as alumni for their electives every year. We want people who are going to come back and bring projects to the school for the students to do, perhaps during their final dissertation. Or we want people to get involved in clubs and societies afterwards. So commitment, enthusiasm, but we want interesting people as well. We want different backgrounds, because as I said earlier, bringing that variety of business experience into the classroom is going to just bring so much to the um, core modules and the electives it's going to bring a different perspective which people would never in their regular working life be able to speak to somebody who is a in casting in Hollywood somebody who is an educational specialist from Hong Kong that's going to be a really great a great example probably would be last year. Really interesting candidate we had. So Harish was um the financial director for Crystal Palace football <laughs> team in in London. He was a really interesting man, but he was sixty-eight years old. Sixty-eight. That is sixty-eight. <sighs> That's not your normal full-time NBA candidate. And um actually he was an amazing student he had so many great stories and interesting things to bring to the classroom and he thrived in the MBA. he'd always wanted to do he, he was obviously a fantastic financial director but he had a great way of well uh, really interesting life a great way with academia. So he'd always wanted to further himself and do an MBA So that is why he took a sabbatical to come and, and join us and he yeah, he was a great student on the program
0: I love that you mentioned before, you know Applicants without bachelor's degree. So tell us a bit, you know about the school's approach towards applicants without a bachelor's degree because that's a, p- a big part of what mm-hmm. we're doing here Um You know if there are specific skills or stories you're looking for in such candidates you know maybe an example of one um, who recently got accepted
1: yeah well what i'd say and what i do say to people is we're really different um to how we were when we were younger i um didn't do very well in my bachelor's degree and some people um feel nervous about saying that but we're very different people to who we were back then and um, some people well it wasn't the right time for them to serve themselves in education so now perhaps it's for many people I think that the wealth of experience that um, people bring to the table when they've done MBAs is fantastic so do you know what having no undergraduate that that doesn't mean as much these days as it maybe did five to ten years ago the wealth of experience that people are going to bring to an MBA is well just what they've done in business what they've done in life so we will ask them perhaps to um get a good GMAT or GRE score Mm -hmm. just so that we know actually they can do standardized testing just to make sure that um It's not even that we're taking a chance on them because they've proved themselves in the business world. Most people come to us um, without undergrads. But we want to make sure that actually they can perform to the best of their ability. Mm. Um, We do have a lot of support outside of the classroom. The university in general will have extra study skills. People can um, take the option to... to to help them with exams with coursework with referencing for example so there's lots of options out there for people Um, but we yeah we want people we want interesting people as i said from the start we want interesting people so however that journey takes them to our doorstep that's good a great example um somebody who i know is quite close to um uh the yourself and the uh, podcast mm-hmm. is Omri Farber who was on our NBA last year last year yeah yep. he um was a, a really interesting candidate and perhaps some of your listeners might have already listened to the two podcasts that he's done with me. so he was um in the uh, Israeli army he was then uh, a Michelin chef I uh, worked in many Michelin kitchens and he came to us because he wanted to further himself and he was a fantastic candidate for the MBA. He was a really driven candidate and he's definitely an applicant for people who um, want to do an MBA and don't have an undergraduate. So but he's a great example.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think his he, he has a very distinct um, approach that you kind of see with are kind of applicants which is really Mm -hmm. no bs really fits the criteria he's like (laughs) okay let's let's talk to the point you know um which i like i connect to you know i named my podcast after it's like that that dual meaning and it's i i think it does bring something new to the classroom Um, how many how many applicants like that would you say that um, start on average in a year is there one is there less is there more is it does it change
1: I don't, it, it does change, and um there isn't that many. there right. should be more well, there's no reason why there shouldn't be more. I'd say every year we'll have um a handful of applicants and probably maybe one or less who will start the program. Wow just to be honest, we see uh, a little more on our executive programs, right so the people on the part-time executive MBAs who have been working for maybe 10, 15, even twenty years um, haven't got an undergraduate but want some formal education we find probably on the executive programs there might be at least maybe two or three every year hmm.
0: yeah that makes sense do you do you have an example it doesn't have to be someone without an MBA or with an MBA uh, sorry with a bachelor or without but do you have an example of you know, someone who is a great candidate on paper who didn't get in?
1: No names, of course. (laughs) That's a really interesting question. Um, So every year we get, so every year we get uh, obviously a, a really high number of applications. And you know what? People do look really good on paper really good on paper but um, we as I said one of the things that we try and do is have personal interactions with every candidate be it in person one-to-ones um, online one-to-ones or inviting them to in-person events that we hold on campus and it's interesting that people try and show the best obviously everybody tries to show the best face but those little things and because i've been involved in the university for a long time i've got a great network around the university mm-hmm. and uh, a candidate in the past few years turned up at the wrong building for our um uh our session that we we're holding so he yep. arrived late and then he yeah he went in um to the session and then it, i found out later that actually he was quite rude to a security guard on another building and he hadn't he hadn't come across very well. Mm. But then once we got the application, actually he was a brilliant application. He had a great Gma score, etc. But because of the feedback that we had, that showed actually probably wasn't a very nice person and wouldn't fit in very nicely in the social interactions in the class. So candidates have got to realise we do see everything um we will have things fed back to us eventually and it's not that we want to put them off because that might have been something bad but actually that might have just been a one-off you need to present yourself well at all times if that's how you're going to react to people not realizing it's going to get back to others then yeah that's not that's not great It's not great. So he wasn't offered a place despite having an excellent application, good GMAT score, et cetera, et cetera.
0: It's um, it's interesting because the the admission teams, despite you know, what candidates think, they don't really have a lot of data points to base their opinion on, right? So you have sure you have the GMAT, you have the admissions, maybe you have a video or two, hopefully an in-person meeting and a letter of recommendation. But when you get another data point in that data set, whatever that is, a campus visit, a class, or this or that, it can have such a big impact.
1: Massively. Really does. Um, and to touch on this point as well, we've got a fantastic admissions team at CAS. So I'm part of the recruitment team. And on the other side of our desk, we've got the admissions team. And we work really, really closely together. My admissions team had been at CAS for. I'm not going to tell you how long, because some Uh of them would be, (laughs) Um, but a a long time, and they're fantastic at their jobs, not only in their customer service, but in their way to process applications. They know what they're looking for. They have an amazing knowledge of not only the MBA, the school, but of visa processes of of what people need to do with accommodation-wise, so... Uh, it's something I'm proud of as well but I sit in a fantastic knowledgeable team who are there for the students who are, it's part of our community as well. We we might mention, oh this student from five years ago and then we should see him oh I, I remember this person yeah they, they did this they went on to that. So it all fits into the community of cats, I'd say
0: um, I have a final question for you before we Play a game. (laughs) (laughs) And that question is: you know, what are some of CASA's maybe unique industry relationships? Or is there a specific industry that many CASA grads aim for or end up in?
1: Mm. So I think over the past couple of years, we've had um, a lot of people who wanted to go into consulting. I think that um, that is a key industry for many people at the moment. It's a really hard industry. And actually the feedback I get from many people is they're really enjoying their time with um, BCG or um, other companies. But it's long hours. (laughs) It's uh, stressful, but they're really enjoying it. So you know what? Consulting is a big area that many people want to go in. And many um, modules in the MBA are set up to... Not get people into consulting, but to gain some skills, such as the international consultancy week that the students do as part of their core modules, the elective consulting to management. So there are some really key areas, but we're getting some great entrepreneurs coming to us as well. So people who have some great business ideas, but they just don't know how to get it going. Um, I from the past couple of years i can remember there's a great um, guy called trees who um has set up in germany a fresh dog food company hmm. so where uh, in the uk we have like um, hello fresh where they deliver fresh food and you put the recipe together and it's kind of like that for dog food he realized that in germany people love their dogs and people spend a lot of money on their dogs so there was a niche there and he knew that he wanted to he knew what he wanted to do so he came in he learned his uh, key skills during the core modules he did some uh, key electives and then his business mastery project was his business plan on this fresh dog food company with a great academic who was a marketeer, but also a massive dog fan. So he chose the right person to work with, to write this business plan. And I'm proud to say that he launched in Germany, this fantastic company. So, um, you remember the name of
0: the company by any chance?
1: Off the top of my head, it's Woofle. Um, so we're getting some people come to us for all manner of different reasons, but, i think that's a credit to uh, our alumni a credit to our careers team actually we've got some fantastic success stories from people over the past few years
0: Great. i'm going to look up uh woofle uh so <laughs> i wonder i for whatever reason you know i've uh i've heard quite a, a few stories of you know around um You know, pet food, dog food, pet insurance, pet health insurance. But you know, it—it's a thing. It's an industry. You know, it's even a big industry. Just saw some, a few private equity acquisitions in that space, and I was like, wait, what are we even talking about? But this is a big, big, big thing, big industry. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that one out. Um, last but not least, I would like to play a game with you. Amazing. And the game is called Only Three Words. This is how it goes. Um, I am going to ask you a question, and you will have all the time in the world to think about the answer. But when you answer, you can only answer in three words. So, for example, I will ask you, Tony, what are your three favorite colors? And you would think, and you would think of, for example, the British flag, and you would say, blue, red, And white.
1: Got it. All right. All over it.
0: Okay. So you know the rules, you know the game. And here is the question. So, Tony, in only three words, what in your opinion makes a person a great conversationist?
1: Interesting listener eye contact.
0: Huh. Do you care to elaborate?
1: um i think that um people well yeah i i think there's a lot about body language i i studied psychology many years ago um, particularly body language so to have a good conversation to have a uh, good uh, rapport between people that you need to uh, have eye contact to show interest i think that listening is incredibly key um, to conversations because i hate one sided people talking about themselves and not giving back because i want to be interested in that
0: i love it there's a saying that you know god gave us two ears and only one mouth <laughs>
1: it's true <laughs> it's
0: true all right with that tony um, I would like to thank you very, very much and ask you if you have a final message to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think that in this current, interesting environment, that um, we all need to think about what's right for us at the moment. To upskill is incredibly important, um, be it doing some simple. Free online courses, or to take that giant step and commit to a year long program, which is stressful, is busy, but is incredibly life changing, and one that you will never regret, is incredibly important. To have the time at the moment when we are many of us at home and many of us have perhaps a little bit of extra time to concentrate and think about what we're going to do in the future to take that time to really think about what we're going to do and where we're going to go in the next few months and perhaps the next few years
0: very nice so with that again tony thank you very very much this was a very pleasant conversation and a fun one Um, thank you for being with us and stay safe stay healthy stay happy